Please stand if you're able again. (laughs) Our gospel lesson this morning will be from the eighth chapter of Matthew. It's page eight or nine in your pew Bible. Beginning in verse 23, hear this lesson. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? You have little faith. Then Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the sea. And there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. I bring you uh, the gratitude and the greetings of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, our mission field personnel uh, around the world, uh, our coordinator, Susie Painter. We are so grateful that Highland is a part of the fellowship, and we are so grateful for your generous gifts to the offering of Global Missions. I'm thankful this morning that Joe invited me to share the good news of Jesus with you. Um, and I'd also like to add a particular word, uh, word or two of thanks. I spoke to Phoebe earlier somewhere, I think she was back there, who used to work in CBF, Florida, back when I served in Miami. And it, what a nice reunion that is this morning. I'd also like to say a word of thanks. It's very specific uh, to the congregation because, as Joe mentioned, he was on a search committee Uh, that eventually invited me to participate in this role at CBF. And I'm very conscious. Without the generosity of congregations like Highland to share the gifts of leadership that are resident among you, the fellowship would not have the witness in the world that it possesses today. I'm truly grateful for that. And sharing Joe and sharing of others of you in this congregation in those forms of leadership really make a difference, not only to the CBF, but in the world, I believe, for the gospel. So thank you for that, and let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak a word we need to hear. Amen. When Jesus got into the boat, 
his disciples followed him. Did you notice that progression in verse 23? When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, I mentioned in the previous service, this many white people in one room makes me nervous. Um, Most of my adult life has been spent in black churches, and I've received a lot of gifts there. And one of the things is being habituated into preaching when people actually speak back to you. And so uh, I'm going to need help this morning. This might stretch you a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, I believe, I have faith that you're up for the task. So whenever I say, when Jesus got into the boat, if you could chime in, his disciples followed him. That would be just great. (laughs) When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Oh, that's brilliant. In this story, this familiar story, we discovered that there is a certain discomfort with discipleship. Jesus will lead us to places we scarcely can imagine. I remember my first year of teaching at Truett Seminary, I met a student who was brilliant, and I hired him as my graduate assistant for the next couple of years. And as he progressed through his program and approached graduation, I learned of his passion for Muslim-Christian relations and his wife's prior service in Indonesia. And I did what any good missions professor does. I recruited him for further field service after graduation. And so uh, they signed up and we commissioned them two summers ago with CBF to serve in Indonesia, where they presently work uh, with Muslim students at a major public research university in that country. When they boarded the plane, they took with them their two small children under four years of age. I tell that story to point out that I suspect the grandparents of those grandchildren never imagined that they would have to travel all the way over to Southeast Asia to hold their grandchildren. How many of you know that Jesus will lead you to places you otherwise would not go? When Jesus got into the boat. So you see, we've got some work to do here on this on response. Of course, when we read this story, there's a great temptation, isn't there, to jump ahead to the happy ending, to discover uh, that Jesus calms the storm. It reminds me of St. Julian of Norwich's words, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. But Matthew doesn't skip ahead to the happy ending. No, we have to wait for the drama to unfold. So when Jesus got into the boat, do you ever wonder what the conditions were like on the water that day? Clearly the disciples, and even Jesus himself, needed some rest ever since they had followed him down from that mountain where he preached the ethically demanding sermon so famous. It had been nonstop healing. Wall-to-wall sick people, Uh, a man with leprosy, Uh, the centurion's paralytic servant, Peter's hot mother-in-law. Scripture says she was feverish. (laughs) I also told Joe earlier this morning, no one ever likes that joke except Highland Baptist. (laughs) Amen. That's awesome. And then Matthew goes on to say, And crowds of others plagued by demons and diseases. Following Jesus in those early days was hard 
work. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests, he said to an eager law professor. Let the dead bury the dead, he said to the son of an ailing man. If you're planning to follow me, Jesus seemed to say, then you better count the cost. Jesus didn't make it easy to follow him, and nevertheless, a small band of disciples stood steadfast by his side. Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, Zebedee's sons, James and John, they'd already left their friends and their families behind, as well as their nets, to follow Jesus. So when he got into the boat, his disciples, and onto the boat they went, weary from the crowds, grateful for a respite. Matthew is is kind of spare in his detail, actually, but we know that Jesus must have shared their exhaustion Because soon as they pushed out from shore, he fell asleep. Don't you imagine that the disciples' heads were spinning? Jesus, a miracle-working prophet from Galilee, was the hottest thing to hit Palestine in a long, long time. And he had handpicked them. He'd promised they'd become fishers of men and women, whatever that meant. It just seemed more exciting than their present day jobs. Others envied their position. They tried to cut in on their good thing, but Jesus had called them by name. You can almost imagine in that moment the disciples trying to relax on deck sitting back on a chaise lounger with one of those drinks, the little umbrellas maybe. Maybe a game of shuffleboard over on the other side. or You could smell a hint of coconut oil in the tanning lotion. When the lightning strikes and the thunder rolls and the wind howls, and verse 24 says, a windstorm rose so great that waves were swamping the boat. In a moment... The situation had changed from from comfort to crisis. Now, Matthew again gives us little detail. But we have every reason to believe that their professional instincts kicked in, that these fishermen jumped to their post to save their boat. All hands on deck, they shouted, but it was too late, the squall too strong, the waves too high to recover. And as they were sinking down, someone realized... That Jesus was missing. And in their rush to find their last and only hope, they discover him sleeping as sound as a baby in the midst of the storm. A storm, mind you, into which he had led them. When Jesus got into the boat. And here's the rub. Contrary to what I expect most of us believe somewhere deep, deep down, following Jesus may not be a path to your best life now, as Joel Osteen likes to say. No, Jesus may actually put your life at risk. Or at very least, following Jesus may put at risk the life you've long envisioned for yourself. 
or the life your parents envisioned for you, or your spouse, or your friends, or your supervisors at work, or even your pastor, or the life you've envisioned for your own children. Following Jesus puts lives and dreams at risk, whether we find ourselves uh, on a boat in Galilee, on an airplane to Indonesia, or in a darkened alley somewhere in West Louisville. Following Jesus takes us into waters where we are vulnerable to storms that will lead us far from familiar shores when Jesus got into the boat. And despite the disciples' sacrifices, or sometimes our own, Jesus doesn't always seem concerned or even present. This work of bringing heaven to earth for which Jesus taught us to pray isn't always easy, is it? Sometimes in ministry, whether uh, helping a a stranger change a flat tire or offering a prayer when God knows you fear public speaking or volunteering uh, for VBS when, uh, truth be told, you really don't like children. No one here, I'm sure, has ever done that. Or maybe you really don't like to uh, volunteer in the homeless ministry because those folks make you somehow uncomfortable. Sometimes it won't feel like Jesus is on the scene, in the room, or, or in the boat. Verse 25 says, The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And when the storm kicks up, the disciples have to rouse their slumbering Savior, and the rebukes follow. The rebukes. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ah, we're finally starting to get to the good part of the story. Jesus is going to whip out the magic, and boom, before you know it, there's going to be calm on the water again, and we'll be back to our comfort zone. Not so fast, says Matthew. Look at verse 25 and 26. Disciples, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus, why are you so afraid? You of little faith. Little faith? Talk about kicking somebody when they're down. Come on, Jesus. They're having this exchange while what's happening? The boat is still sinking. And they've just tried to save his life. These aren't like the foxes or the birds or the guys in the story before that. That law professor or the son of the sick man? No, these are the folks that actually stepped out on faith and followed Jesus and he led them straight into a storm. When Jesus got into the boat, a couple of years ago, this passage in Matthew 8 appeared in the uh, weekly reading uh, for my faculty covenant group at the seminary. It's generally a great thing to have a small group Bible study weekly with a couple of biblical scholars, a church historian, a preaching professor or two. It's very, very interesting. This particular week, however, Jesus' response, ye of little faith, stumped my colleagues. I mean, it's not unreasonable to be scared in the midst of a storm at sea on a small boat, is it? People die every day on the water. And this isn't some post-resurrection encounter with Jesus. We're a long way from Easter in Matthew's gospel. 
The disciples seem downright reasonable here, dare say even faithful. Waves swamping the boat, professionals that they are, they've presumably done everything possible to stabilize the ship, but fearing the worst, they turn to Jesus, the one person who might be able to save them. Isn't that faith? Isn't that how most of us come to Jesus? When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. When I served as a missionary at Touching Miami with Love, I participated in one of those uh, outward bound experiential education courses up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I don't know if anybody's ever done that sort of a thing. One morning, our facilitators divided us into a couple of groups for a day-long hike up to a summit high, high above us. And before we set out, our guide uh, paused and he drew three concentric circles in the dirt. And he said he wanted to teach us a a little bit of a lesson about three zones of of existence. He said there's a, a comfort zone, a stretch zone, and a crisis zone. The comfort zone, of course, is where most of us want to stay. But he said little learning takes place there. You have to stretch beyond your comfort zone to learn. But he said, kind of like a rubber band, human beings are not limitlessly elastic. If you stretch too far, what will happen? You snap. You enter a crisis zone and In a crisis zone, rational thought processes immediately begin to break down, so there's no recourse except to bring someone that's in crisis as quickly as possible back to that comfort zone. In Matthew's gospel, it seems as if Jesus could benefit from my outward bound instructor's little lesson. When the disciples roused Jesus, they had long since entered their crisis zones. They were falling apart, perishing, as Matthew put it. And I saw the same thing that day up on the mountain. We were headed down from the summit. Uh, Dusk was falling. Camp was still a long way in the distance. Our directions were useless, turned left at a fallen tree. We were in a forest, for goodness sakes. There are fallen trees in every direction. Tempers were rising, light was fading, and then it happened in the distance We heard the thunder. The lightning striked and immediately our trusty guide emerged from the shadows to give us an impromptu talk on how to survive lightning strikes in the hills. (laughs) Now I'm sure, right, that there was some cunning strategy of counting the echoes and something like that. But all such insights were lost. Why? Because half of our group was immediately in their crisis zone the moment they heard the thunder. Fear spread through the group like a virus. And when the rain began to softly fall, the fear turned to panic and people began a mad dash down the mountain in the dark. We had entered our crisis zones. And in Matthew 8, Jesus rebukes his disciples for what seemed to me and my faculty covenant group to be a fairly faithful move. But just when all seems lost, the Jesus that we so desperately want to appear finally shows up on the scene in Matthew's gospel. The wind and waves received the second rebuke. 
and we return to that place of tranquility and comfort on the water again. But don't you imagine, don't you imagine that after those rebukes, the disciples were changed somehow? That the false assurances they had believed about what it would be to become fishers of men and women had to be set aside. Following Jesus wasn't exactly what they expected. Sometimes Jesus, it turns out, will lead you straight into a storm. And later in Matthew's gospel, after Jesus famously rebukes Peter, the get thee behind me passage, he turns not to the crowds, but back again to those same disciples and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and come follow me. For if you want to save your life, you must lose it. And if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. There is an inherent discomfort in discipleship. We, of course, I think want to run straight past the storm clouds in this story to the silver lining, past the disciples' fear of death to their deliverance. We want to bask in the glory of the one whom even the winds and waves obey, but if we do that, then we miss the good news in this story. Namely, if Jesus gets you onto the boat, then Jesus can get you off of it. Doesn't matter how high the waves may rage, doesn't matter how far off course everyone else in your life or this city thinks this church has gone, if you follow Jesus onto the boat, then he will lead you home. When Jesus got into the boat, so let me ask you a question. When was the last time that following Jesus made you uncomfortable? I suspect following Jesus could take us into some rough waters. And if so, we shouldn't lose heart. We should remember Paul's words to the Galatians, never grow weary in well-doing. It's a good word. But when you do grow weary, remember that we serve a God who can redeem even our failures. I'll draw to a conclusion with a story. I remember one day in Miami when I was serving at Touching Miami with Love, I I pulled up, I lived a couple blocks from the ministry center, and I was driving in, and uh, I was trying to pull into our parking lot, and a man across the street in front of the housing uh, projects was trying to flag me down and point me, point me over in front of the projects where he could sell me drugs. He was very persistent. When, he, uh, when I got out of the car, he had followed me over into our parking lot, and he was still trying to get me over across the street, and, and I was tired. I was weary of well-doing, I confess. And so I lit into him. Don't you have something better to do with your life than deal drugs on this corner? Don't you have something better to do than destroy the African-American community from the inside out? Don't you think God dreamed bigger dreams for your life than doing this right here in the swamp? So, suffice it to say that wasn't my most gracious missionary moment. (laughs) And probably not the wisest thing for my general health. Um, But we were weary. 
Every day was a battle for the hearts and the lives of our youth with the drug dealers across the street. A few months later, I'd taken a a mission team church group, not like Highland, unlike Highland, uh, who had come down for a mission trip uh, on Sunday night over to the Homeless Assistance Center. We'd served a meal. It was late. I was trying to clean up things and get the group out on their vans and, and get home for the night. Uh, about, as, about the time we were starting to leave, I heard my name called across the dining hall, and I looked up, and a man was waving at me again and coming over, and he said, Pastor Stephen, don't you remember? And I, it's Charles. Don't you remember me? And I didn't for a second. He said, remember, on the corner of 7th Street and the Swamp, I was trying to deal you drugs. And I said, oh, Charles, yeah, great to see you. Right? Well, he said, you told me God had bigger dreams for my life than slinging drugs on that corner. You were right. I'm following God now. I went to rehab. My girlfriend and I are getting married. Thanks so much. My life has been completely turned around. You know, all things are becoming new. After I picked my jaw up off the floor, Charles and I spoke for a few more minutes before I left. You know, don't grow weary in well-doing is a good word. And I think especially probably for a well-known activist congregation like uh, this one. It's a good word as long as we remember that the kingdom's coming is the work of the Spirit, a divine initiative into which God invites us to participate. And sometimes the kingdom comes in spite of us. When Jesus got into the boat, so let me close with this challenge. Pay attention to the people around you who have embraced this call to follow Jesus out of their comfort zones. Maybe they're missionaries like my friends in Indonesia or uh, Jeff and Alicia Lee who meet Syrian refugees at the border of Macedonia every day. But they just as well may be school teachers or custodians Uh, or car salesmen, or cafeteria workers, or undocumented immigrants, or epidemiologists. I live close to the CDC. (laughs) They come in all shapes and sizes and colors and accents and education levels, but the one thing they have in common is a willingness to embrace the discomfort of discipleship because that's precisely where the real growth occurs. And if we are willing to do that, if we are willing to take that risk, then we'll discover that there is no safer, better place to be than on the boat with Jesus, even in the midst of a storm. When Jesus got into the boat, let us pray. God, grant us the courage to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.